Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Dolver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael DePod, Pina of Sports Illustrated. Michael, here we are again, podcasting through the pain and turbulence of American uh, society, American history unfolding before our eyes. It's been a crazy week, I'm sure, for you, for myself, for basically everyone else around the world watching what's happening. I'm curious, where were you on uh, Wednesday as everything was unfolding? Did you have any first impressions as people are storming the Capitol building and we find out at least four dead um, in the midst of protests gone awry? I mean, I was sitting, you know, in my living room where I've been basically every day for the past 10 months. (laughs) Um and, you know, basically check everything out on Twitter and, you know, you see the um, the hints of, like, just unprecedented disruption. And you just never think that it's going to get to where it eventually got to. And then I put on television and you just see this, this mass mob of aggrieved uh, white Americans um, just attempting to undermine democracy on one of democracy's most important days. It's It was, you know, totally gross and disgusting. And I really, I know we're obviously going to talk about the NBA's reaction, but I really, my one of my first, uh, like, initial responses was just the dichotomy between how uh, uh, people who look a certain way and people who look uh, different would be treated if they behave this way. And uh, we know that because we lived through the summer, which was terrible and filled with protest. And so I saw police acting very differently um, to those people and uh, trying to uh, stifle their cause versus the one that is totally ridiculous that we saw at the Capitol building. 
No, and I think that was a major theme from a lot of players, from a lot of coaches in the NBA. We will get into that uh, here as we go. My first thought was just, you know, going back to being like in middle school and going on the, uh, you know, on the field trip or the summer trip to Washington, D.C. and seeing that Capitol building for the first time. And I toured the Supreme Court, went over to the Washington Monument and all of those things. Even when I was a kid, they just seemed like so big and powerful. And this is the country and this is who we are. They're symbols of America. And you're sitting there when you're like 9, 10, 11, 12, however, however many years old, just thinking like, wow, this is... This is the center of the power, you know, of this power structure of the entire world is right here on this, what, six, seven, eight blocks uh, Mm -hmm. of Washington, D.C. And to see it look so, you know, unpowerful, for lack of a better phrase, yesterday, I mean, basically brought to its knees, I mean, no security uh, or practically no security, um, you know, rooms being trashed, you know, stuff being vandalized, taken out of the building, it was shocking. I mean, and I understand people are going to say, well, it shouldn't be surprising to anyone that's been building this for the last couple of years. The the aggrievement, the anger, that stuff was not shocking. But uh, I think I'm right there with you and, and with a lot of the, the NBA people, uh, players and coaches saying, wait a minute, like where, where was the authority figures? Where were the people stepping in to sort of ensure order in this particular moment? And why aren't they there? And is this not a coincidence? I mean, I think that those are just natural questions that anyone would ask in that particular situation when you're talking about, uh, you know, very important political figures being in the building at that moment, having their safety and security compromised potentially at times on Wednesday. It's It was frightening. Um, you know, I would hope that this will be viewed as a turning point as we go forward, or maybe a uh, a last gasp of this particular era. Uh, we shall see how that unfolds. You never want to make predictions because you're just going to look terrible <laughs> in this particular era. But uh, I was going back to middle school and just thinking, man, this is not the Capitol building that I looked up and thought this is an invulnerable fortress of American power. And it's just it wasn't that yesterday, you know? No, I mean. The way I see it is like this could be the beginning of the end of a very dark period, a last gasp, as you say, or it could be the end of uh, like the beginning of what America was from, I don't even know how many, what what target dates we want to use, 1968 to 2014 or whatever. I don't even know. But it's just, uh, I mean, it's gross. And the, the photographs that you see, the looting, the rioting from people who had absolutely no sympathy um, to uh, the public displays of frustration by black Americans throughout the summer. Um, And, you know, basic, I mean, this obviously was not a protest. Draymond Green said that he called these people terrorists, which they were 100%. I mean, they were trying to enact a coup on the United States government as there is, uh, you know, a step a key step towards the transition of power from the president to the president elect. It's, it was, it was really scary. Um, and you know, th- to have members of Congress le- legitimately believe that their lives are in danger is just absolutely not what you want. Um, as a citizen of this country, I don't care who you voted for in the election. You should be embarrassed by everything that happened yesterday. Yeah, and not just think that their lives are in danger. Their lives were in danger. People mm-hmm. died. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to gloss over that fact either. Um, I'm sure there's going to be tons of reporting to come in the next couple of days in how everything played out, exactly where politicians were relative to the people kind of, you know, breaking in and, and looting. But 
just a terrifying situation to watch from afar. And it put the NBA in a tough spot, Michael. I mean, they had games just a few hours, you know, scheduled a few hours after um, the scene was taking place in the Capitol building. And of course, you can imagine there was a lot of players with frustration who are thinking back to last summer and and the Black Lives Matters protests and, and how they handled those things within, inside the bubble, who are looking around and saying, wait a minute, this is not at all what we believe America should be. Is it our obligation to make another stand here? And I think adding layers to it were two other recent events. I think in Wisconsin, you had the police officer who shot Jacob Blake um, in the in the incident that wound up provoking the three day shutdown in the bubble. Um, you know, officially was you know given no charges, and other officers mm-hmm. who were there on the scene were given no charges as well. So I think from the players' standpoint, a lot of the players who were protesting on behalf of Jacob Blake felt like justice was not served in that case. And then almost simultaneously on the same day, you had two uh, runoff elections in Georgia where the Democratic candidates won both of those elections, swinging power control of the Senate towards the Democrats in what would be hailed as a major victory, I think, by uh, a lot of the players, NBA players and WNBA players, who were active in getting out the vote in Georgia and other swing states throughout the election cycle. So you had a lot of different pieces of news all taking place simultaneously. And I think if you're the players, you're feeling incredibly frustrated and heartbroken by the Jacob Blake uh, situation. A lot of players express that. And then you're looking at the Capitol building and just saying, come on, this is just absolutely unacceptable. We can't have this. When you're watching this play out in real time yesterday, at any point did you think some NBA games aren't going to be taking place? You know, it's one of those things where if I had asked that question a year ago, Michael, I would say, look, they play through it. They just play through it. That's how it goes. But you go back over the last year, and we've seen a game uh, postponed because of Kobe Bryant's death. We saw three days worth of games uh, basically postponed in the bubble uh, you know, because of the, the Jacob Blake protest. And we also saw a game postponed because of uh, COVID spread among the Houston Rockets, right? So we used to have this idea that like games were untouchable and, and only mm-hmm. like the craziest inclement weather would shut them down. And I was sitting there yesterday thinking, well, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised at all if one or two or some of these games, maybe all of these games, wind up getting postponed because of this situation. Did you have that thought at all? It did cross my mind, um, but like, I don't know. I, I look around and I see that uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, you did cite the one game that was uh, eventually postponed between the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder, but like... There's still like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games being played a night as cases and deaths keep rising in this country. So like that is it just kind of puts things into perspective with regards to what the threshold is for actually canceling a game. But at the same time, if if players or teams decided not to participate in action last night, I would not have been surprised um, like. I think maybe there there could have been a call from the league as opposed to teams or individual players deciding not to play. That might have been the right thing to do. And I do wonder, like, if there was a game in D.C., the, the Wizards played a game and they lost uh, uh, against the Philadelphia 76ers in Philadelphia. But, like, if that game was in D.C., I just have a really hard time believing it would have been played. It would have been just, like, really disgusting to play a professional basketball game in a city that had gone through such a traumatic experience. No, I'm with you on that. And there was some serious uh, situations like that, you know, back in the day with the LA riots where they're trying to, you know, juggle basketball games at the same time, a few miles away that there were riots in the streets. And 
it would have posed a real question, I think, for the NBA uh, optics, but also security-wise and just in general, do you want um, you know, I, I guess at this point they can't bring fans down there, you know, but like in a normal year, you, would you want to have a big crowd heading down to a game at the same time this is taking place in DC? I, I don't know. It probably wouldn't have been the best from a pu- public safety standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple of players say they would have been okay had the games not gone on. Uh, Marcus Morris, Paul George, among them from the Clippers. We had Draymond Green say, look, that's not really the right idea of canceling games, postponing games. Uh, you know, there's there's better things that we can do. There's better ways that we can approach the situation. You had the Boston Celtics, it sound like, came the closest of anybody to not playing. At one point, they left the court together. I guess Brad Stevens had a pregame call with Eric Spolstra in Miami and said, hey, look, this, this game might not happen. Our guys are very upset. And then they issued a statement which essentially said, look, we're going to go on and play this game. We want to bring joy to everyone. Um, and, you know, amidst a, dif- a difficult time. And then they cited the disparity in treatment between, you know, mm-hmm. Jacob Blake and, and the protesters in D.C. How did you think that was handled? And then what did you make of what Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had to say after that game? I thought, you know, the most reliable guy in the league right now, it feels like, is Jalen Brown when it comes to these issues. I mean, I thought he came through, um, you know, big time with his comments again. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jalen is just a total, he's a vanguard for this movement, 100%. The league needs him, players need him. Um, I guess this country needs him, very sadly, to speak out on these issues as often as he does, as eloquently as he does. I, I mean, all in all, like, the, the uh, I feel like the, the there were pregame forms of protest, performative forms of protest. There was the kneeling in Milwaukee against the the Bucks and the Pistons, uh, the the hand-holding around midcourt between the Phoenix Suns and the Toronto Raptors, uh, the, 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 the joint letter that you were referring between Miami and Boston. And, you know, these actions, we talked at length about them uh, when teams and players were uh, engaged in the bubble, and what they do is they bring visibility to a cause that apparently still needs it. Because uh, you know, I wrote a column about all of this for SI uh, at around one a.m. I wrote it because I couldn't go to bed. But uh, you know, the heartbeat of racism is denial, and right now, like. Denial is still so omnipresent in this country when it comes to how a certain segment is treated. And so I think there is sincere value in what NBA players are doing. And when they speak publicly about it in their Zoom press conferences, I already cited Draymond, Kawhi Leonard spoke, uh, Jalen spoke, uh, next to Tatum, Tyler Halliburton had uh, really nice things to say. Lloyd Pierce obviously was a master on the subject, Doc Rivers, just like the usual cast of characters. But that it, it's 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 exhausting to continuously say these things in public and be asked about them. I can only imagine what that feels like, but it's necessary. And um, I'm really happy that uh, NBA players are stepping up when when they need to, frankly. Yeah, with Jalen's quote, it was just basically the idea of two Americas citing back to Martin Luther King Jr. And I feel like this was the perfect time uh, for that quote because of what you said, where everyone's looking at the law enforcement response in D.C. last summer, where there's tear gas, where there's, you know, 
basically violent clashes and all that stuff. And then you're you're watching on television, and people are just sort of being walked out of the building, you know, or they're almost like celebrating as they're leaving with various artifacts of the looting. You're just saying like, wait a minute, what's going on here? In terms of that protest in um, in Milwaukee with the Bucks and Pistons, so just to kind of walk through what they did there, it wasn't really a pregame scene. They waited until they did the jump ball. Uh, the Bucks won the jump ball. Giannis tossed the basketball out of bounds. Everybody on the court took a knee. And then the coaches also took a knee as well, Milwaukee's coaches. Then Detroit inbounds the basketball to Blake Griffin. Rather than continuing the game, he decides to take a knee and throws the ball back out of bounds, essentially giving possession back to Milwaukee because they had won the tip. And then they go forward with the game. Um, It's unusual. It was different. I I also feel like these players are trying to come up with new ways to protest because they've been (laughs) dealing with so many things here over the last year that they've got to kind of, you know, dig deep into their plans of – of ways they can express their frustration. What did you make of that scene? I thought it was striking uh, because it happened within the gameplay, right? Um, it almost reminded me at, at times there's been uh, moments of silence or guys taking a 24-second shot clock violation in honor of someone. I mean, it was almost to, to that level. Um, and the Bucks also released a lengthy statement um, frustrated with the lack of justice in the in the Jacob Blake situation and, and just saying they stand against police brutality as always. Um, what did you make of Milwaukee's role in all of this? No, it, I mean, yeah, it, it it reminded me of what players did for uh, right after Kobe Bryant passed away, as you just referenced, where, you know, they there's basically a moment of silence for 24 seconds and then eight seconds, and then the game is uh, resumed. Um, it is, again, just uh, an effort by the players to draw attention to these uh, to the systemic racism that is going on in the country, this disparity between white America and black America. I mean, I, I'll read really quickly what Jalen Brown said, which I thought was um, I, I just so impressed with him, his ability to just like say a quote like this or even just paraphrase a quote um, without reading off a teleprompter, which is something that I would have to do. <laughs> like it's 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 remarkable. But he, what he said was, in one America, you get killed for sleeping in your car, selling cigarettes, or playing in your backyard. In another America, you get to storm the Capitol. No tear gas, no massive arrests, none of that. It's 2021. I don't think anything has changed. And when we talk about has anything changed, that goes back to Kenosha, Wisconsin, where there was this uh, great effort, unprecedented effort by NBA players that transcended sport when they decided not to play um, playoff games. And then months later, there is no justice for Jacob Blake. And that is just peak frustration. And I don't know where you go from there. Um, it's obviously not like you you give up. Um, this is a fight that has been. Uh, it's like beating back the ocean as it as waves crash onto the shore. Like it's just a never ending battle, and that is understood for everyone who participates. But it is it's it's just soul crushing. Like I don't I, I don't even no. know what else how else to describe it. It is. It reminds me a lot of what happened in the bubble when. They got the Brianna Taylor ruling while they were there, and there wasn't as many teams in the bubble at that moment. And you'll remember when the Jacob Blake situation first happened, it was anger, it was outrage, it was guys firing their eyes. They were, you know, they didn't want to play, they wanted to make a major stand. And when they got the Brianna Taylor ruling a little bit later, many of those same players, the reaction was like heartbreak. 
um, despair. I mean, they didn't want to make eye contact. I mean, the same guys who were all fired up were, were you know, just struggling to even communicate because they were so upset with, with how it happened. It was just a different feeling, a different reaction. I think in the first case, you know, there's a bad guy in that first situation, right? There's the guy who's pulling the trigger. In the Breonna Taylor ruling, you're looking at systemic injustice in their eyes and you're thinking well who can we even blame for this how could we possibly change this this um, foe is so much bigger than just one police officer it's difficult to wrap your mind around and I think you saw the players even before the capital situation uh, yesterday in a very similar spot once there was uh, the ru- no ruling essentially in the Jacob Blake uh, situation they're right back to that same feeling of heartbreak and I think for them it creates a very challenging situation from a practical standpoint, what do you do next, right? I mean, once you've uh, shut down sports in the bubble and made a massive statement by doing it, you know, having other leagues follow your um, follow your lead there, what do you do the next time there's a situation like this? And I thought the, the Bucks handled their protest um, quite well. I mean, they, they executed it exactly how they wanted to. They made their point. But I think that you and I would agree it, it didn't make the same level of an impact nationally as the the quote-unquote boycott did right and Mm -hmm. so i think if your players who are involved in that that's got to be frustrating you want to be heard you still have those uh, feelings and i think that question of where did they go from here what's next in the player activist movement is a really fascinating one to watch i mean talking to some executives last night they're saying this stuff is not going to go away just because even if there is a peaceful transition of power right um you're going to have continued incidents um, of police brutality, of unfairness, of disparate treatment uh, towards Black Americans for the rest of our lifetimes. That's you could pretty much just pencil that in, right? And so th- the same thoughtful people who put together very coordinated action in the bubble, who are now spread out across the country because they're back to their normal lives, those feelings that they had when they were there in the bubble and, and trying to make that coordinated change aren't going to go away. And we're seeing the exact same voices rise to the moment, whether it's Jalen Brown. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, Giannis uh, spoke out again. LeBron has continued to speak out. And so I think it's just something that we have to watch here and, and kind of be prepared for So Where do these guys take it from here? Because they're not getting the level of, of um, reasonable results or response. Uh, and, and Black America is not getting the, the level of reasonable results and response that they would expect um, after an awful lot of, of months of crusading, really. And so what is your next move? Uh, how do you how do you regroup? And I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not sure they do either. I think it's it's still in flux. It, this might not be the best analogy, but it's almost like you use a nuclear bomb and then you lose the war. Like that was your, the, the, you know, your Hail Mary and to sit out, I'm talking about for the players. And, you know, they only did it for three days. They could have obviously just ended the season and there would have been... Um, you know, uh, cataclysmic financial ramifications that we've already gone over. And I'm sure that that is another reason why, you know, games went on last night and why um, I am a little dubious of another strike that was that was on par with what we saw in the bubble. Um, You know, Chris Paul spoke uh, last night as president of the MBPA, and he was frank that, you know, he doesn't have the answers. He doesn't know what's next. I think that this is a very fluid situation. It's uncharted waters for everybody. And, like, I, you know, we're, we're being very, like, down on everything because 
of what transpired yesterday, but we should also real, really quick like highlight the fact that um, the NBA's effort to get out the vote was like a, a massive success, and the fact that the, it was it been overshadowed for obvious reasons, but. Uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock both won their Senate seats in Georgia, and uh, Joe Biden obviously was elected to the presidency um, in uh, because the black community really came out to vote, and people voted in these elections who have never voted before. And there was real enthusiasm, and I think that the NBA did a really good job, and the WNBA as well, and other professional athletes of, of getting involved and uh, trying to get people to exercise their constitutional right. So that, that's just something I want to like throw in there because I know we're being really down and this is a really down time, but that is important going forward. No, and it's going to have long-lasting repercussions. Not only did the the two gentlemen that you mentioned win, but uh, Kelly Loeffler, the owner of the Atlanta WNBA franchise who was basically had her players turn on her and campaign for her opponent <laughs> – um, lost in, in fairly spectacular fashion. And then she got dunked on by LeBron on Twitter. I saw two social media dunkings over the last 48 hours that were noteworthy. First was LeBron suggesting that he was going to buy the WNBA franchise from her, which was just an incredible flex. I mean, what uh, you know, what a thing for a player to say at, at this point. The second was Kellyanne Conway's daughter saying, hey, mom, why don't you want to come to my room and we could talk about the Georgia results and kind of like mocking her mom because of their... <laughs> Uh, they're different <laughs> political opinions. Um, both of them really cutting deep. I mean, politics does get maybe a little bit uh, too personal. But but in all seriousness, the last point, uh, you know, coming out of the Georgia uh, runoffs was Lloyd Pierce saying, look, this is not a coincidence that, you know, we take this step forward. Uh, you know, we being the players and, uh, you know, black Georgians, you know, getting out to vote, electing the first African-American senator from Georgia on Tuesday. And then the very next day, there are these protests uh, at the Capitol. Uh, he's saying there's no coincidence. He's drawing a direct line saying this is essentially, you know, a, a part of a racist response. Um, what did you make of Lloyd Pierce's comments? And again, he's another one of these guys who's been consistently leading and speaking on these issues for months. Yeah, I mean, he's spot on. Uh, you know, we talked about the... Um, discrepancy between how, you know, law enforcement treats black Americans and white Americans. One of the really interesting discrepancies that I was looking at yesterday also is just the fact that, you know, black people who were protesting and white people on the behalf of those who are marginalized over the summer were protesting because of like truly despicable behavior and injustice, like objectively. And yesterday, <laughs> Uh, uh, white people, predominantly Trump supporters. I'm sure there were a few minorities in the crowd. I did not see any on television um, or in the Capitol building. You know, uh, they were outraged um, because they lost an election and they did not get out and vote, get enough people to vote for their candidate. So, like, imagine how these people, meaning the Trump supporters who were so aggrieved yesterday, imagine how they would feel if they were suppressed for hundreds of years or had grandparents who were physically beaten because they tried to register their siblings or their neighbors for years and years and decades and decades. Like, it is just, uh, it's really crazy when you try to wrap your head around what makes 
like just resiliency in human in, in these two groups of human beings and what is the breaking point for one and what is the breaking point for another it's it's super sad to see honestly um but it's something else that i think that people should consider when they look at all of this yeah, it goes back to the issue of privilege, which I think is uh, something that Malcolm Brogdon pointed to and, and Draymond Green pointed to. Uh, you know, you don't really know how bad other people have had it if this is what gets you so fired up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Lloyd Pierce's quote here, just to close this part of, uh, of the show off, he says, we live in a divided country. We could say it's power in politics, but it's race as well. Racism is real. The issues are real. The protests are real. What we're seeing now is a sad reality that our country has yet to reckon with and acknowledge. For those who didn't believe it, I hope you believe it now. So, uh, well said by him. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, Michael, we are going to shift gears here because despite everything that was going on in the Capitol last night, there was a ton going on from a basketball standpoint around the league. We saw some upsets. We saw some you know, key injuries, unfortunately, just a lot of news, uh, news making. We saw a huge scoring outburst uh, by Bradley Beal, career high 60 points for him, tying a franchise record for the Washington Wizards. So maybe we should start there. I mean, 60 points in a loss for Bradley Beal. It felt like you know, frankly, the the Bradley Beal burden game, right? Here he is doing everything he possibly can, having the night of his life, 
And yet, down the stretch, uh, Philadelphia pulls away fairly convincingly. I think Washington gave up something like 141 points in the game. Russell Westbrook uh, leaves the game late with what I guess was a dislocated finger to add you know, injury to insult. What, what did you take away from this? I mean, did your mind go straight where I think a lot of people's minds went, which is, wow, Bradley Beal really needs to be on the trading block. This is a ridiculous situation for him to, for him to find himself in. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might honestly, like, I don't know where this organization is going if they're this bad. Like we thought that, I think before the season started, both you and I were in agreement that this team was going to compete for a play-in game. Um, I don't know how that happens now. I mean, sure, like things can turn around. That's, you know, it's very early in the season. But, like, Brad Beal can't play any better than he is. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And it's, like, you know, looking back on uh, the fact that he was not an all-star last season is just so comical to me. Um, But, like, this guy is just a tremendous basketball player who is languishing in one of the saddest situations in the league. And I don't know... Just because you re-sign him with the pieces that you have around him, that doesn't mean you're going to turn this around. So I don't really know what Washington's like game plan is over the next two, three years here. But like maybe moving on from him and you know getting a boatload of assets and maybe a really intriguing young player, a blue chip prospect or something like that, is the right move. Because like it is, it's dark in Washington, D.C. for, I mean, not for obvious reasons, but on the basketball side as well. Yeah, they're two and six right now. They've got losses to Chicago twice, Orlando twice, Philly twice. They beat Minnesota and they beat Brooklyn in kind of a nail biter. Um, You know, it's not the toughest schedule to start to be two and six, right? So it's not like you can blame the schedule necessarily. And I think their defense is just beyond repair, right? I mean, you could definitely point to Westbrook and be like, he needs to be more efficient. He needs to make better decisions. I mean, I was just, you know, basically head in hand last night when on that crucial possession late in that game, Beals had it rolling all night. The ball swings to Westbrook on the perimeter and he just cannot resist taking the three-pointer and it bricked so loudly. Michael, I don't know if it's the empty arenas or they got the special microphones in the rim, but you could hear that brick from three blocks down the road, you know? It's just, and like you knew it was going to happen before it even came out of his hand. You're never going to win basketball games like that, making those kinds of decisions in in crucial moments. So I felt a lot of sympathy for Bradley Beal. He loves it in D.C. um, more than I think almost anybody else would. I mean, his loyalty there has been pretty unquestioned. Um, So I guess their strategy is hope that Denny and Rui develop quickly then you've got something resembling a core, right? I think that's kind of the idea. I mean, Westbrook is going to be who he is, right? That's not going to be a long-term solution, but at least you could be kind of competitive and relevant if those guys come along. Is that impossible? Uh, No. Uh, Would I bet on that? You know, probably not. And so I guess if I'm looking at this from a timeline perspective, do you really see Beal being on the trading block by the deadline? Or is this one where he's just going to play it out this season? Because I understand everybody wants to go to that Beal trade talk, but for me... I feel like he's kind of committed. It's a weird year. If it doesn't go their way, you can kind of write it off and be like, oh, well, strange season. You know, we'll double back and figure something out during the offseason. I feel like he's just kind of stuck and he's going to be mired and we might be seeing some more 60-point games and losses from him this year. And we should just all kind of maybe prepare ourselves for that mentally. What do you think? 
Based on how upset he was last season when he did not get recognized for, what did he average, like 30 a night? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, you know, if that happens again this season, I just can't see him being pumped about sticking around. I just can't. Like, I, he's he's due $34.5 million next season, then and, then and then he has a $37 million player option the year after that, which he'll probably um, opt out of. Um you know, pending what what's going on with the NBA's economic landscape. So, I mean, I, I kind of look at it more just from the perspective of Washington, though, and like maybe that's what they, they like. Maybe they need to move on and just really cash out on their most valuable asset. I mean, he's already in his prime; like he's twenty seven years old. Uh, you know, Rui Hachimura and Denny Avdia developing. They're just. I, I just have a really hard time believing that they're going to develop in time to really build something competitive in Washington, D.C., especially with Russell Westbrook there and sucking up a lot of the oxygen and people treating his triple doubles as if, uh, I don't even know, like they are um, newsworthy. Really worth, yeah. worth newsworthy or worth celebrating in any form or fashion. So, like, if I'm the, like, I, there's just like, if I was the Wizards, I'd be like, maybe we need to move off of Beal now, as painful as that will be, it's the smartest long-term play for the organization. Well, here's a tortured comparison for you, but here during the pandemic, I basically have nothing to look forward to on a daily basis, right? Because I'm not going to go outside, no social events, not really going to NBA games. I'm just kind of sitting around doing absolutely nothing. The only thing that I've got, Michael, is Postmates, and I've been using it liberally. I've been trying to cut down a little bit here in the new year just because I'm, I'm trying to get back on the weight loss kick, but that's like the one aspect of life that it's like, hey, this is great. Now, not that these conversations with you aren't great, by the way. I do look forward to them every single day. Um, Thank you. I wish we podcasted seven times a week instead of just twice because the non-peanut days are just not as full and, and, and brilliant as the peanut days are. Uh, <laughs> Thank but, you. But, yeah. But the Postmates is like the one thing where it's like, hey, this is the one piece of normal reality that I can cling to that's going to guarantee to brighten my day. And it doesn't violate any of the social distancing rules or any of that. This is the one thing I can treasure. That's basically Bradley Beal for the Wizards. I think that the whole John Wall vision <laughs> for them crumbled in front of their eyes. They had this idea of Otto and John and Brad. It was going to be the one, two, three core. Uh, you know, they were trying to make calculated additions to put the team over the top. None of it worked. Westbrook is not a guy that uh, you know they maybe had hoped he would be uh, so far this season. I mean, he just he's the same guy that we've seen struggle over the last couple of years, right? So their one saving grace is Bradley Beal. I feel like they're going to cling to him as hard as possible, just like I cling to my postmates in this particular moment, Michael. I feel like they're going to trade Bradley Beal over their dead body unless. They come to like next summer and he's just, look, I've had enough. I've got to get out of here. And, and so far, he's shown no indication that he wants to be that uh, that power broker type guy yet during his career. So I view it as a stalemate. It just gets more and more frustrating. That 60-point night just took it to a different level, honestly, uh, because you're watching him score effortlessly. And then down the stretch, his teammates just cannot hit a shot. And he cannot get open because they're throwing extra help at him. And you just felt so bad for the guy. But I think, you know, he's used to it. I guess that's the silver lining. Uh, he is at least used to it. Um, another piece of bad news here that came in from Orlando, Michael Markel Fultz, season-ending ACL tear. 
Um, they had gotten a lot of, uh, I would say, positive momentum going out of the gate. As I mentioned, they beat Washington twice. They had cruised to a record of 6-2 and two right near the top of the Eastern Conference standings. Not a lot of people saw that coming. Fultz was playing well, not spectacularly, but certainly compared to the standard of where he was when he couldn't even get on the court or hit a shot. Uh, a couple years ago in Philadelphia, he was starting to write his second chapter Kind of brutal timing for him, obviously. There's there's never a good time to tear your ACL as a player, but also for that organization as well. They've got Cole Anthony, the rookie, as their backup point guard. How do you solve the situation if you're Orlando? Is this kind of the worst-case scenario for them in a weird way um, after paying uh, Fultz and also not having Jonathan Isaac, another one of their rising young players, uh, healthy this season? Now you've got two guys on the sideline who, who you had hoped to be core pieces. I mean, this is a really, really rough turn of events for the Magic, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a worst case scenario for Fultz more than it is for the Orlando Magic. I mean, I you know, he wasn't playing exceptional basketball, you know, he's shooting below 40%. The jumper just, you know, he's, he's shown uh, an increased confidence and in willing to let it fly, but they just aren't going in. Um, that said, he just looks so much more comfortable uh even this season like on a game to game ba- game to game basis almost in Steve Clifford's offense where you know Clifford really trusts him and he gives him the ball and he lets him attack and he lets him get downhill and pick and roll and uh Fultz has done a tremendous job of setting up guys like like Vucevic and Aaron Gordon and Terrence Ross and you know those guys have really developed a nice chemistry with one another so it, it, it is a just a tremendous blow for Fultz, I think, more so than anybody, just because of everything that he's gone through. And, you know, this is a guy who's trying to establish himself as a legitimate NBA player. I think he has, but, you know, tearing your ACL, uh, even though he's so young, athleticism is still a big part of his game because of the faulty outside shot. So it's just it's it stinks for him for for the magic as an organization like I, I kind of view it as a potential blessing in disguise honestly like I don't know how many wins Markel Fultz is worth but right now what they get to do is play Cole Anthony a lot more they'll probably be a worse basketball team just because they're thinner at an, at an important position and you know they re-signed Fultz, as you said, they re-signed Jonathan Isaac. They re-signed Jonathan Isaac after he'd already torn his ACL, so they knew what they were getting into there. And this is a, a franchise that like is in just desperate need of blue chip prospects and a high draft pick. They constantly draft in like the you know the early teens, seven, eight, nine, ten. Like they need a top two, three pick badly. They need a franchise player. It's all they're missing. And this is a perfect situation for them to finally get it. And I, I just I wonder uh, if they will be bad enough, honestly, for it to happen, because they still have a lot of really good players on the team who've been together for a really long time. And Clifford is a really good coach. So it's just, you know, you want something good to come out of this. And that's really all I can see. So their upcoming schedule, they're sitting at six and two right now, Michael, their next six games. Houston, Dallas, Milwaukee, Boston, Boston, Brooklyn. Woof. You know? <laughs> I mean, woof. That, that, that standings uh, situation could change for them really dramatically. I think the plus side for Cole Anthony is he's looked pretty solid. They've got to feel great about grabbing him now, especially because that was a hole on their uh, roster rotation after DJ August, Augustin left. So, you know, you can kind of throw him to the, the Wolves without 
any real expectations of wins and losses. And I think the benefit for him, he's basically surrounded by vets on every side, right? It's, you know, Vucevic, Fournier, Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon. I mean, those guys have played together for a while. So you're not asking him to be this takeover guy. You're just saying, hey, plug a hole and, and let's see how it goes. I wonder, though, do they need to make a move here, too? Because they're really thin back there. I, I don't believe that they were in a situation where they could really withstand this kind of an injury from a playmaking and offense initiation standpoint. So do you try to make a stopgap move? I probably would if I were them. Uh, but at the same time, I hear what you're saying. I wouldn't be making some big, splashy trade to try to salvage the season when there are some benefits to just sort of letting that that season like kind of play out its natural course, but they may have enough talent on hand where they can't get down there to the very bottom of the standings, Michael. Uh, I think that's possible in the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference. There's definitely worse rosters out there. So yep. um, I guess to spin this positively for them, we get to watch the Cole Anthony experience. He's going to get a lot of attention and love uh, because he's just going to be playing tons of minutes and learning on the fly. And he was a player who came out very, very highly rated in, the, in in high school, took a step back when he was at North Carolina. So maybe he can kind of recapture some of that, uh, that juice that he had earlier in his life. And, and we'll see how that goes for them. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, another team right now overflowing with juice would be the New York Knicks, Michael. Can you explain this for to, to me, please? Because 
I've watched them a couple of times. I mean, last night, Austin Rivers just goes unconscious, gets like 14 points in the final five minutes, something like that, can't miss a shot, and just completely slays the Utah Jazz. I mean, dominates the late-game head-to-head duel with uh, Donovan Mitchell, if you can believe that. So probably not a sustainable winning strategy for that to be how they want to approach end games, uh, to put it mildly. But New York's been playing very well, very hard. They're off to a nice start with their record. How do you explain this? What is going on? Is Thibodeau a genius um, or what? Uh, what is your um, what is your kind of like top three bullet points for how New York's getting this done? I mean, so I guess you got to look at what the difference is between this year and last year. Uh, yeah, Tibbs is the head coach now and they're playing like a uh, Tom Thibodeau coach team they have the seventh best defense in the league granted they're getting a ton of luck from the three-point line where they're giving up a ton and guys just aren't making wide open ones as was the case I don't know if you saw that jazz Knicks game last night but the jazz had a ton of open threes that just didn't fall throughout the night Bojan um, man he's killing me man yeah he had a, he had a couple key ones that just yeah what is he doing yep yep yep, yep. um and then like the, I think the other like number one thing we associate with uh, with Tibbs is just running guys into the ground. <laughs> and <laughs> if you look at the the minutes numbers, uh, no players are averaging more minutes than Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Uh, so it, Tibbs is playing his best players a lot of minutes. And yeah, so uh, just to underscore that one real quick, last night we would say fairly meaningless game against the Jazz. I mean, it's early January. Randall mm-hmm. plays 40, Mitchell Robinson plays 41, Alfred Payton plays 42. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but like Randall, you know, there's a lot of players in this team who I'm still skeptical of, including Julius Randall. But like his numbers, you just can't argue with. Um, you know, his shooting is what it is still. He's not a good shooter. I don't think he ever will be. But, you know, his, the per game numbers are just like, eye-popping it's like 22 and 12 and 7 every night and he's making better decisions as a playmaker his assist rate is way up um and like when you have a player like that who's just so much better than the guy who was on the team last season and in every other year of his career honestly like their half-court offense which was a total disaster last season goes up to like competent it's not it's not good but it's competent um and, uh, you know, Alfred Payton, who you just mentioned, is like balling and making threes and getting to the basket at will. And Mitchell Robinson honestly looked like it's just a cheaper version of Rudy Gobert last night and has throughout the entire season. And so you like couple that with like if the occasional uh, Austin Rivers fireworks display and you're going to win some games that maybe you should have lost. And so I still don't think that this team is going to make the playoffs or or compete in the play-in tournament or anything like that. I, I still think that they have um, there's a big downside here, uh, particularly with just how they treat the three-point line uh, in that they don't shoot threes. Um, but it's really good to see, I think, if you're a Knicks fan right now, it's like this is the most optimistic that – a Knicks fan has been since I guess Linsanity, right? That's probably the last time. Yeah, probably. I mean, I would say, first of all, they're playing harder defensively than just about anybody in the league. Now, do they have the greatest talent? I don't know, but I think that's the Tibbs impact more than anything. 
this is a weird year. I'm seeing a lot of teams not trying very hard defensively or just, you know, if they don't have the personnel, they're just admitting to themselves they don't have the personnel. And let's just try to get into shootouts every single night. That's kind of been the theme early on. You're seeing a lot of scores in the 120s, the 130s, even the 140s. That's not New York right now. So I think that's sort of like, uh, you know, uh, will, will it be sustainable? Probably not. Eventually, other teams are going to tighten up. But for right now, that's kind of proving to be a, a winning uh, model for New York uh, based on their level of talent. Julius Randle's been out of his mind. He probably has to be in the first-time all-star type guy conversation uh, based on how well he's played. We didn't bring him up the last time we, we broached that subject, but uh, the numbers are out of control. And I think the, the main difference I've seen from him is just a better feel from a playmaking standpoint. Earlier in his career, very wild, often rushed, out of control, didn't necessarily see the right passes. I mean, he, he maybe is not an ideal point forward, uh, to, to run an offense, you know, it does feel a little bit at times like he's sort of a crutch or, uh, you know, just a, a best of bad options uh, for them in that role. But he's making it work. And uh, he, he's putting up massive numbers, like you mentioned, and it's leading to wins. And I think he's a driving force behind some of that, you know, generating just enough offense for their team to kind of get by in some of these games. I also think they're sneaking up on teams, though, Michael. I think a lot of teams still look at New York on the schedule and they just think automatic dub. You know, we're, we're, we're going in there and we're coming out with a win. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, there's an adjustment factor there sometimes where, you know, young or less uh, respected teams you know, can kind of catch you by surprise. It reminds me a little bit of the Memphis Grizzlies last year, where I think that they got a lot of wins simply because other teams kind of overlooked them. I think that's kind of happening here a little bit to start um, with the Knicks, but we'll see how that one shakes out. I've got one final question for you, and it's regarding a Twitter a spat back and forth in Sacramento between basically Marvin Bagley's dad, who essentially requested a trade on his son's behalf, and then you've got De'Aaron Fox's dad coming through and essentially being like, sure, trade him, whatever, who cares? And then you've got the situation kind of playing out on the court where Bagley is really, really off to a slow start, not playing well, not looking like the potential franchise centerpiece that you would want from a former, uh, you know, number two pick who's taken over Luka Doncic and, and everything mm-hmm. else. Uh, the other night, I guess he played so poorly, he did that classic trick, Michael, of going back onto the court after the game to get more shots up. Um, hopefully that will fix everything uh, for his season. I would love to see that. Um, how would you handle this, right? If you're Monty McNair, you're a new GM there. You didn't draft Bagley. Obviously, you you inherit him and you view him as kind of a, a key piece, but at the same time, if he's not performing, he's not performing. And then if you're Luke Walton, you know, you and I had talked about how he enters this season on the hot seat. This seems like kind of a worst case scenario where you've got two of your most important players, you know, their, their parents going back and forth on Twitter and, and you hope that they can resolve it. Uh, thankfully, they get uh, Halliburton back. He kind of saves the day. The other night, they grab a win over Chicago. But this seems like it's a, a situation that's not necessarily going to go away. How would you handle it if you were the Kings front office or the Kings coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned Halliburton. If I was Luke Walton, I'd just be like sitting on a couch with a blanket wrapped over my head, sh- shaking back and forth, just watching film <laughs> of Halliburton over and over and over again until I fell asleep. Um, that's that's like the only saving grace right now, I feel like, for uh, for him and for the organization. I mean, like Marvin Bagley, um, I'm not – giving up on him as a player yet at all. I don't think anybody should. He's super um, talented. Uh, he has a physical profile to dominate. Um, 
this is just like really weird. I mean, if I was like, if I was management or, um, I guess like anyone and who's an executive for that organization, you just like, you got to ignore it, I guess. Like, you know, this is not the first time a parent has, uh, demanded their child play more minutes in athletic competition. So I, like, I don't know what you would do publicly if you were working for the Kings. You can't really speak out and win an argument against a parent. That's just not going to happen, especially one who has a track record, as Marvin Bagley's father does, of just saying ridiculous things and tweeting ridiculous things. So you just got to like roll with it, I guess. And, you know, you can't just trade Marvin Bagley because I don't know what his value is right now, honestly. And... Uh, like, what are you getting for someone who's shooting 38% from the floor? Uh, it's probably not a lot. So um, you just kind of got to ride this out, I guess. I, I don't have any solutions here. I'm, I'm, I'm like completely out of it with it. No, it's, it's a tricky spot for them to be in. I mean, look, like you said, he's shooting below 40% from the field. He's averaging 12 points a game. I think we can agree he is a minus defender at this point, and he's coming with some serious injury red flags because he missed a lot of time in his first couple of seasons. I'm not ready to give up on him either. You know, usually you get at least two seasons to show what you can do. He hasn't really had that because of injuries. So I think this is a make or break season for him. And I actually kind of think that's motivating uh, his dad's comments in some way. They realize the pressure is kind of on or he's got to make a name for himself uh, before you're starting to get into that talk about a second contract and those kinds of negotiations, he's got to show something. He's got to make a name for himself in the NBA, and he just hasn't been able to do that. I think if you're the Kings, you got to kind of bring everybody together. You can't just sweep these tweets under the rug. You've got to say, look, guys, we don't really get to have fans in the stands. We don't really get to have a lot of connections with our fan base on a day-to-day basis. They're just watching us on television, and they're only seeing us on social media. That's sort of the the deal this year. There's Obviously, these Zoom calls where you're going to get some comments and, and interviews as well. But by and large, social media this year is taking on an outsized percentage of the fan experience compared to a normal season, right? You've just got to be locked up tight. This is going to be a long, difficult season with these guys spending lots of time on the road together where any sort of chemistry uh, you know, cracks are going to show. We saw it in the bubble. Teams that had poor chemistry eventually caught up to them. And blew up and kind of ruined their playoff runs. And I think for Sacramento, like this is a team that's had chemistry issues, you know, going back to the Cousins era, you know, if not before. I mean, they don't accidentally miss the playoffs 14 years in a row. If ever there was a year to kind of keep complaints in house and to address things through the proper channels and to kind of hash it out behind the scenes, this would be the year because I just think it's a fragile year for every team around the league in terms of, you know, dealing with the logistical challenge they've got to deal with. So, you know, to me, like some people would say, oh, it's just one tweet is just two tweets. And I think Darren Fox put something else out like that. I think for me, this would be time for a family meeting. You know, if I was their front office and saying, look, guys, you know, people view the Sacramento Kings kind of one way. We're trying to change that perception. We've got a lot of talent on this roster. We're trying to build some upward momentum here. We can't have this kind of stuff taking place. It detracts from the entire goal. And, um, you know, from the Bagley standpoint, I think you're right. There is not really going to be a trade market for him. Maybe at the end of this season, if he plays well all year, you're going to be able to find something that would make sense for him. But right now with him being on the rookie deal, with him coming off those injury issues and with him not off to a hot start, you know, you, he's your guy. You, you've got to take that one as far as it can go. So it is a tough spot for them to be in. But you know, hopefully there's a proactive response, you know, from the front office, from the coaching staff, and not just trying to sweep this under the rug because 
they've got some interesting players, right? Fox is interesting. Halliburton is interesting. Bagley, if he can get things going, is a very interesting prospect still to me. I don't love him, but you know, let's let's see how it plays out. Don't just you know let egos and personalities blow this thing up, uh, you know, before it gets going. And I think the fan base is already a little bit frustrated by it, and rightfully so. I mean, they've seen all sorts of messes over the years. The last thing you want is another one uh, right now. All right, Michael, I think on that note, we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Hopefully next week we're coming back with better news, brighter news, but who knows these days, right? Um, Guys, email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. You guys can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Now, Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golliver, on Twitter at Ben Golliver. All right, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.